So, a um, couple things. First of all, before I get to the announcement you guys uh, heard we were going to make, I want to say something. Normally, I never <clears throat> really weigh in or express an opinion on national political issues. Uh, but there is a local issue that I wanted to weigh in on. Over the last couple of weeks, there's been a, a, a group, a fringe group, that has been putting anti-Semitic flyers in different neighborhoods across the city. And the understanding is they want to target all neighborhoods. Uh, flyers uh, uh, that are pretty vicious against Jewish people, uh, blaming them for all sorts of problems and ills in America. As, as followers of Jesus and as royal priests who believe in the responsibility of proclamation, integrity, and industry, we stand against anything like that. We don't support it. Uh, as a matter of fact, we condemn it. <clears throat> And we want to know that even uh, our Jewish uh, friends in the community, we stand with them on that. So uh, before we get started on this next announcement, uh, our live stream failed today. So here's another advantage when you realize it's important to be in community, right? Because you get to hear this announcement live stream and the rest have to wait for the recording. <clears throat> um, so just a real quick, you know, we've been meeting since uh, the first week in September of 2016. and. Um, it's been an incredible uh, journey for us. And uh, we've had some incredible peaks and some valleys. Uh, COVID was certainly a valley for us. We ran into some problems with facility and things like that. Uh, but as you guys know, that we've kind of been operating out of three different locations here at McCurdy's. And by the way, I was talking to Pam McCurdy and Les this week. There, there probably is no Grace Life without their incredible support and how much they have meant. Of all the places that we pay rent to, and there are many, this is the easiest one <laughs> for sure, but it's been great for them to allow us to use their business place to have worship. But you know, we had the 1900 building across the street. We pay a lot of money for that, but we only use it a couple hours a week. That was always frustrating for me. Then we have the nightlife center, which has been well used, maybe even overused to many, to many degrees. And, and there's problems there with parking and things like that. You guys know that. <clears throat> and for the last two and a half years, the pastor shepherd team, including myself and some other people in the, in the church community here, we've been looking for other facilities, high and low, up and down, all different price points, rent, buy, oh, whatever. We're trying to figure it out. And every time we found something that might work, you would go over there and we'd say, you know, we could probably make this fit, you know, if we turn the square peg this way, we could jam it into the round hole and get a hammer and, and we could, we'll figure it out because we're Grace Life and we're mobile, we'll figure it out. And, but every time it was, it was hard, but we were willing to try it, then something would happen, it would just fall apart. And that was pretty frustrating. So about two and a half months ago, I just gave up. Not gave up as in like, woe is me, just like, you know, God doesn't want us to move. And then uh, one of our shepherds, Amy, texted me like two and a half months ago, like, like two or three days after I just said, you know what, we're just gonna be where we are for a while. We'll just let God drop something in our lap one day. She goes, there's this church that was for sale and they had a contract, but the contract fell through. You should look at it. I said, all right, you and a couple other people on the team, you guys go look at it. That was on a Friday. I said, you guys go look at it tomorrow. So they went and they looked at it. They said, oh my gosh, we love it. I said, okay, we'll get a group together to go after church on Sunday. So that was all happened within 24, 48 hours. And I went over there. Remember that illustration I told you about the square peg and a round hole? I went over there and on the way home, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I could put three pegs in this hole. 
It was like almost one and a half acres in the middle of the city, 9,000 square feet. It's, in, it's on a busy intersection. I'm thinking, this would be incredible. Well, long story short, we started the process. Uh, the building has been purchased, and we're going to rent it from the new owners. And it's going to be the same or less, probably less, than what we're paying all three locations right now. So we save money. We didn't go at middle of the night and put our sign on. That's a Photoshop, okay? Just relax. But that's where we're going to be. It's on the corner of 17th and Lockwood Ridge. It's not ours yet, so don't run over there and start banging on the door. Let us come in and take a look. Don't do that, okay? But uh, the, the plan is to close on March 24th. And then after we close, we got a ton of work to do. Our plan is to have our first worship services the first Sunday in June. We've got a lot of things to do before then. We've got to get sound worked out. There might be some remodeling. There might be some stuff we've got to, not might be, there is some stuff we've got to do. We've got to figure out where we're going to put everything. Where's the food pantry go? Nightlife Center is going to be, instead of you guys renting from Nightlife, Nightlife's going to rent from Grace Life. So that'll be kind of cool, right? A little bit of a switch. And there's a lot of things got to happen before then. Uh, we're going to be here for the next few months, but we're going to have a lot of work to do. We're going to need willing hands, maybe some willing wallets. There's a lot of things that have to be done, but here's the great part about it. Some people say, well, does that make us mobile? Are we not mobile anymore? Oh, we're still mobile. We're still active. We're going to be in the community. We're going to be in a community that needs to be loved and, and cared for. I'm, I'm just excited about it. I just can't tell you how relieved I am. Not just relieved, but I'm just incredibly grateful to our heavenly dad who just, I was not even looking anymore. I had stopped, I'd gotten off the loop net little thing where they send you possible properties in your area. I just unsubscribe. <laughs> and then a few days later, this just dropped into our lap. So I'm thankful to God for what he's done for Grace Life so far, and I'm so excited about the new chapter, and I hope you are too. It's a great time to be a part of our fellowship. You'll be hearing more over the next few weeks, I'm sure, and there's a lot to happen, and we'll let you know what we need from you because we're going to need a lot, but we're excited about the next chapter. Okay, with that being said, let's go on to our series on 2 Peter. It's been a hard series to preach, especially this chapter 2 with all this talk about, about uh, you know, these false teachers. He says some pretty mean things about them, and this week, I've entitled the message, Dry Springs. So... Laura, my wife, grew up in New York. She used to always tell me, you know, I, I grew up in Florida. She always t used to tell me how bad chain restaurant pizza was. And I thought, oh, come on, it's pizza. How bad could it be? And I just dismiss, oh, yeah, you snobby New York pizza people. Give me a break. But then I moved. We moved as a family to New York, just outside of Queens, in a wonderful Italian neighborhood called New Hyde Park. About two blocks from my house, there was this place called Angeletto. Angeletto is an Italian word. It means little corner. And it was literally a restaurant on a little corner. And that place was unbelievable. They had the best Sicilian pizza. This is a picture of one of their pizzas. The, the edges were just crispy, just right. And they would cook, they would, they would pre-cook the pepperoni before they put it on the pizza, just a little bit, like it was a secret. And the, the sauce was just tangy enough, but not too tangy. It's the best Sicilian pizza you can eat. 
It was, in fact, transformational. And then I found another pizza place in the city on the corner of Spring and Mott, right where it used to be, you know, kind of Little Italy. It's called Lombardi's, and they have the best thin crust oven-fired pizza ever. It is unbelievable. Like when you go to Lombardi's and you sit down and eat pizza, you're going to think, oh, my goodness, this is pizza. And I'll tell you, after those two experiences in New York, first of all, the hardest part about it was admitting, yes, Laura, you are right. Yes. But I tell you, after that, I could never settle for Pizza Hut or Domino's again. I don't care if they change their recipe, if Shaq says it's good. It doesn't matter to me. I can't go back. I won't. Why? Because I have tasted the real thing. Have you ever experienced something like this that made the old thing that you used to love dissatisfying because you experienced something real, something better the way it was supposed to be? I mean, if we have truly experienced the joy of grace and the fellowship of community with Jesus, that's how following Jesus should be. We should never want to go back to the way life was. Frankly, I don't know how anyone could ever go back to life without Jesus if they've really tasted what Jesus calls the living water. So let's look at our passage today. I've borrowed a couple of verses from last week's passage and included the part about Balaam. We'll talk about that in a minute. Forsaking the right way, these talking to the false teachers, these false teachers have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey with human voice restrained the prophet's madness. More on that later. These are waterless springs, misdriven by a storm, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they're entangled again in them and overcome... The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing, turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Just warm, fuzzy passages from Peter. It's just amazing, right? Let's look at the history of this passage. I want to talk about these dangerous influences. First of all, you understand these early churches, it's under, un, important to understand why these first century churches would be so vulnerable to these specific false teachers. Christianity is still very young, especially in this region. As a matter of fact, Paul, who planted most or all of these churches, his missionary journeys to Gentile countries didn't really even start until 47 AD. That's like 13 or 14 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It is likely that the churches that received this letter from Peter and the first one, 1 and 2 Peter, the ones that they're reading together in community that we talked about last week, how they would do it, they weren't even started probably till 50 AD. They are barely a decade old. They don't have centuries of traditions like buildings or Easter, or Christmas. They don't have hymnals. They don't have these Bible studies. They don't have church fathers to go up. They don't have commentaries. It is why the apostles stressed so importantly in the early church 
how important community was. Being together in fellowship and how you should be reading God's word together in community as often as you can. Because without consistently being together as a community who read God's word, they wouldn't have a chance. And these early churches are filled with vulnerable targets. Remember the link to the story in Balaam that we talked about in Numbers 22 last week? Let me just tell you a little bit about Balaam. He was a false prophet, and his desire was to get rich off of taking bad theology and misleading the people of Israel. He had false truth. He was ready to preach it, ready to proclaim it, but God stopped him with the story about the donkey. Go back and read it in Numbers 22. You'll love it. It's, it's one of the most humorous stories in the Bible. You can read the story, and it's a great one, but Balaam had a plan B. His plan B was to convince Israel's enemy kings to send in women who had one job, seduce the people of Israel into immorality. The people of Israel sadly bought into this hook, line, and sinker, and very quickly they became a nation obsessed with immorality. It became a way of life, and in a few years the whole nation, the scripture says, became a nation worshiping the gods of the enemy kings who sent the women to, to seduce them. First century false teachers were trying to use the same strategy, using seduction, appealing to lust and sensuality. And many in the church who had recently left that lifestyle, they don't have a lot of time between what they used to be and what they are now. They're not fully integrated into the community, not fully connected, they lack knowledge. And remember, these were also people for the most part, who had been very neglected by society. Life had not been easy. Lots of suffering, lots of hardship. And they're vulnerable to these empty promises. Look, you can have Jesus and your old life. They are the targets. The same is true today. People in the church, especially in America, who have recently escaped their old life, are facing things that want to pull them back constantly. And they had tempting promises. The two things that made the false teachers effective in drawing away these vulnerable, recently converted people, first of all, they knew who to target. They didn't go after the apostles. And they knew what promises could tempt them to wander from their community. Just like false teachers today, masquerading as deep, intellectual, spiritual, profound beacons of knowledge impressing the vulnerable with their presentations, their charisma. And it is, frankly, quite an appealing pitch. I can see why so many people fall prey to them. Don't worry about the burden of sexual purity. Learn from us, and you can have it all. The apostles are wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. You can be a follower of Jesus and lover of the world and the desires of the flesh at the same time. So that's the history. Look at the spiritual component of this passage. Paul calls them springs, clouds, dogs, and pigs. These are really four brilliant graphic metaphors that any Gentile region would actually understand. First of all, he calls them empty springs and desert clouds. Let me explain. He says these people are like waterless springs. And this is actually what this is, is a beautiful link, another link in 2 Peter. I told you it's full of them. Back to a central teaching of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus said to her, this is the woman at the well, that story, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
Whatever, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's a direct connection to this teaching of Jesus. The water they offer, which is an immoral, an immoral life while following Jesus, will never satisfy. Peter says it will leave you thirsty and it will damage you. Then he calls them mists driven by a storm. This is a direct connection to a weather pattern that was very common in the region. Dark clouds on a desert horizon, they look massive. They look like huge life-giving rain is coming, but then the heat evaporates the water in the clouds before it can begin to fall to the ground. The clouds just vanish, not a drop of rain. And you know, that's what he describes them as, dry springs and desert storms with no rain. Now, before we get to the next section of this theological section, I debated using this title for this section. It's so gross. It's so graphic. But you know what? Remember we learned? Peter intended his letter to be read aloud in community. So here it is. You ready? Dog vomit in pigmire. That's the name. <clears throat> now, if you've ever had a puppy or a dog, you've probably seen this one firsthand. And it is disgusting. I could never, when I've had a puppy, just stand by, which is probably also one of the reasons why I don't have a puppy right now. I could never just stand by and watch my dog do it. No! And I grab them and pull them away because they don't know any better. They don't know that eating their own vomit is sick. Right? Have you seen that before? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. See, you know it's disgusting. And then the idea of a pig. By the way, a pig would not be a Jewish thing. You understand that, right? <laughs> a pig farmer cleans his pigs, and then what does the pig do? Runs right back to the filthy mud and the mire that contains all different types of nasty things in it. Once again, the pig does not want to be clean, runs right back to the mud. See, that's the tragedy of someone who's been exposed to God's grace and God's community and claims to be a part of God's grace and God's community, but then is quickly drawn back to their old life. Peter says their spiritual condition of going back is worse than if they'd never even heard of Jesus. You wouldn't know how bad Pizza Hut is unless you had first tasted Lombardi's or Angeletto. Right now, listen carefully. This is, this is important for you to understand. This isn't about how all of us struggle with sin. That's not the point that Peter's making. Matter of fact, Paul said that I'm constantly battling with my flesh. So I just want you to make sure we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about people like when we as people who follow Jesus struggle with temptation and sin. We're not in danger of losing our faith. That's not what Peter is teaching. In fact, in 1 Peter, if you remember during our series, he made it very clear that true faith will always endure. It cannot be undone. It cannot fail. And it will never be powerless. Remember this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is not a contradiction of 1 Peter. 
That's why he also says later on, if you remember in our series on 1 Peter, that real faith produces what? Virtue. And virtue produces knowledge. Knowledge produces self-control. And self-control produces stability. Stability produces reverence or worship. And it produces brotherly affection or community. And then love for our community and our fellow man. So it's not about that. But there is a very important warning here that followers of Jesus must listen to. Carefully pay attention. Dogs returning to vomit, pigs returning to the mire, is about false teachers who claim to follow Jesus and claim to be part of the community. People hearing the gospel, pretending to embrace, but they love Pizza Hut too much. It's the most tragic spiritual human story, if you think about it. Peter says it would have been better for them to have never experienced community and the gospel and pretend to embrace it. He says their last state is worse than before. Another brilliant link to Jesus and what he taught the apostles in Matthew 12. Are you ready for this? And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Another link in 2 Peter. Isn't that beautiful? See, they pretend to follow Jesus, but they couldn't let go of their obsession with this world, with immorality, with sensuality, and even materialism. They have never received the Holy Spirit. They never really were all in. So Jesus and his community didn't satisfy them. All right, personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this passage? I'm entitled this section, Empty Promises. This was the sermon preview this week. How easily could someone or something cause you to neglect community with God's people or lose confidence in God's word? See, not much has changed in 2,000 years. False teachers are still very effective in targeting vulnerable people within the church. And as a pastor, I have seen it so many times. And it's heartbreaking, frankly. People who seem to have become a part of God's community, but sadly, the world has something to offer them. Something alluring enough that they easily drift away from community and connection and God's word. They easily lose affection for God's truth and God's people. And they have one place to go. They return to the vomit. They return to the mire that was their prior life. You know, today's false teachers are a different breed. And at Grace Life through the years, we've been very specific in identifying theological false teachers in church services. I've called out this Furtick guy. I've called out... Rob Bell, I called out Osteen, false teachers. They're real. They're everywhere, and it's important for us to remain diligent to spot them and call them out in community as Peter did. But here's the problem. Here's where it becomes complicated. False teachers today aren't just limited to bad theology. Like Balaam, that's only part of the danger. I know people with great theology who've been drawn away. Listen now. I know Christians who have good theology who've been drawn away from Jesus and his community by many different types of false teachers. 
See, anyone using anything that can lure a vulnerable Christian away from God's community, I call them a false teacher. They tempt you to mix Jesus with obsession over sensuality, earthly philosophies, materialism, politics, experientialism. They're slick, they're well-produced, they're attractive, they're full of promises that can't deliver the water that you need to satisfy your thirst. They get their hooks into vulnerable believers, feeding passions directly in conflict with being royal priests who believe in proclamation, integrity, and industry. They invoke powerful emotions, some of these false teachers. They invoke intellectual stimulation, and it can feel real. It can feel like thirst quenching water. They promise you alternative ways to connect with God and community while ignoring the authority of Scripture. They promise to provide you a purpose in life, but sadly, leave you searching for purpose. They promise to give you freedom to control your own life, your own destiny. At the same time, you become a slave to your own personal sensual passions. They promise you prosperity, but following them can cost you everything, leaving you destitute emotionally, spiritually. They promise to satisfy your passions while destroying your hopes and your dreams and your relationships and your morality. And buying into their empty promises causes incredible damage to those who believe in the promises and those around them. Listen, these false teachers, and they're everywhere, they can't satisfy you. And when they are done, they leave you, as Peter and Jesus said, worse than you were before. Their teaching, what they used to draw you away, can never create virtue, knowledge, self-control, stability, reverence, brotherly affection, and love for your fellow man. They are all empty springs vanishing desert storms, dogs returning to vomit, and pigs wallowing in the mire. And as your pastor, I'm concerned about these other types of false teachers, not just the theological ones, just as Peter was in his day. So my question for you is this, why would you go back? Look what Jesus says in Luke 9. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, what do we do with that? Look, Jesus was clearly talking about nasty pizza here. The plow in the original Greek means bad pizza. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't. But back to that illustration. I don't care what anyone says to me. You can try to convince me about Domino's or Pizza Hut. I know it's terrible. I've tried it a couple of times since in New York because it was an emergency. You ever had a pizza emergency? <laughs> All it did was remind me how much I love real pizza. I don't want to go back to that way of life. But here's the question. On the serious side, why are so many Christians tempted to go back? Why aren't they convinced that Jesus is all you need, that his community is all you need? And it's not just new Christians. Well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Well, you can be vulnerable too. I have seen seasoned believers. Listen to me, church. I have seen pastors who are my friends fall victim to all types of these false teachers. 
Something is alluring enough to cause them to neglect community with God's people. Neglect taking time to read and study God's word, not only alone, but in community. Those are usually the vulnerable ones, the ones on the edges of the community with one foot in and one foot out, open to new and exciting ideas about how to connect with God. They're still thirsty. They've never really taken a deep, full drink of the living water Jesus was talking about. You can't know for sure where their passions or priorities lie from one week to the next. Do you ever met someone like that? Dear brothers and sisters, listen. I'm telling you from personal experience, you have everything you need in Jesus. You aren't missing a thing. This morning, ask yourself this question. Are you among the vulnerable? Or are you fully satisfied with Jesus and his community? Because once you have tasted the living water, you will never want to go back to the vomit or the mire. Oh, we might struggle from time to time. I get that. But true faith, it produces the stability and the virtue and the reverence and all those things. True faith will never allow you to die head, dive headfirst into the world's toilet ever again. It's because once you've tasted living water, the idea of returning to the vomit will repulse you. You'll never want to go back. I know I wouldn't. God's truth, God's grace, and God's community. That's what I need for abundant life. Heavenly Dad, we confess to you that <clears throat> we walk around oblivious sometimes to all the temptations that are swirling around us, the false teachers that want to lure us away with false and empty promises. Lord, we pray that you would protect the hearts of those that are part of our community that have one foot in and one foot out. Lord, by your spirit, bring them completely into the middle. Help them be satisfied by the living water that Jesus talked about. Lord, help us to have the faith that will never allow us to have our hands to the plow and look back. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be sober and be vigilant because we know the enemy is walking about like a roaring lion seeking those to devour. Help us be watchful and ready, not just for theological false teachers, but sensual, philosophical, political false teachers, materialistic false teachers. And help us rest in the comfort and the confidence. Remove the anxiety that we might be missing something. Help us rest in the fact that through you, the living water and your community we have everything we would ever need for life and godliness. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you. We're so excited about the future. Stay tuned. More information is coming. Have a great week.